Well, two weeks ago, I paused our Sunday night series through the book of Acts to give you an addendum from a Sunday morning series uh, message, I should say, through the book of Genesis to address one of the promises God gave to Abram at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. The, the promise is found in Genesis 12:3, and it reads, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And I gave you my opinion, I gave you my opinion that that statement does not mean nations and peoples everywhere better bless the modern state of Israel or they will be cursed by God. And my biblical reasoning for that was of how Moses spoke of them being blessed or cursed. Nehemiah pronounced a curse against those Jews who married ungodly. Daniel acknowledged his nation was under a curse in Daniel chapter 9. God pronounced a curse against the entire nation in the book of Malachi. And John the Baptist did not mince words with the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his day when he was speaking to them at the river of Jordan. And he even told them in that context, think not to say that ye have Abraham for your father. Jesus didn't mince words when he told those religious Jews after they said, our father's Abraham. He said, no, you're of your father, the devil. Stephen didn't mince words when he said, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Jesus was not in danger of being cursed when he said of the Jews in Jerusalem, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Or when Jesus cursed the fig tree, which is a clear picture of Israel. Paul was not in danger of being cursed when he said, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He was not in danger of being cursed when he said of the anti-Christian Jews, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. At some point, we just have to get honest and look at what's happening over there over and over again and say, this is what happens when a nation rejects the Lord. Now, we have to be honest with the Scriptures and allow God to be true, but every man a liar. Our blessings will not come from blessing any physical people or nation who has rejected Christ. John went so far as to say, don't even wish anyone Godspeed who has denied Jesus is the Christ because it is the spirit of Antichrist. So how is it that we can be blessed Galatians 3, 8, and 9, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. We're blessed by God when we come to Christ alone for salvation through faith, to be justified through His blood. And then we are blessed as we live a life pleasing in God's sight through faith. And if you want God's blessing, the answer is really simple. Just bless God. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Well, when I gave those thoughts two weeks ago, I obviously had no idea of what was going to happen a week later with Hamas attacking Israel yet again. And it's no coincidence that God has led us to this thought this time there in Genesis 12.3. As you know, I don't plan anything. And if you're not convinced of the Holy Spirit's guidance as we've studied the Word of God together, then you need to be because we've seen it over and over again. Hamas attacking Israel is nothing new, but this time it has been more intensified. And just so there's no misunderstanding on where I stand, Hamas is a political and military terrorist organization. Hamas is actually an acronym, and I won't try to pronounce the acronym in the native language, but translated into English, it means Islamic resistance movement. And I believe they need to be defeated and they need to be defunded. And just in case my last message has led to any confusion, let me say clearly, I see no problem standing with Israel politically. They are our ally and they are battling terrorism. My point last week needs to be understood in its context, and that is spiritually. And that is that our blessings come directly from God, not those who are against Christ. And the fact is, Israel still possesses the spirit of Antichrist today. They reject Christ as their Savior. They reject that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, I originally had no idea to speak on this again. But we live in a high-speed social media world where information flows very quickly. But it doesn't always flow accurately. And certainly when it comes to opinions that we find tied to Bible verses, it doesn't always flow contextually. For example, when it comes to the issue of accuracy, as a result of what is currently taking place in Israel, the promise of God to Abram in Genesis 12.3, it's being cited all over the place. And I noticed how most are inaccurately quoting the Bible there. In Genesis 12, 3, this is what I keep hearing. God will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. That is not what the verse says. We need to be accurate with the Word of God. In fact, that's why I like the King James Bible. It's even more accurate than modern versions. Because those little these and ye's that people try to say it's too hard to understand are more accurate. I will bless those who bless thee. Let me quickly give you an example of how biblical information isn't always given in its context. Take your Bibles and go to Psalm 122 and verse 6. This is another one of those verses that is everywhere right now. And look, I just want to keep our church on firm scriptural footing. Whether you agree or disagree with me, here, here we are in Psalm 122 and verse 6, and and, and this is one of those verses that, if we're not careful, it can be really misapplied. Look at what it says. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Now, if you're plugged into what's going on in the world right now, you no doubt have seen that verse. And this verse, taken by itself, it seems 
appropriate enough for what is taking place in Israel. But if you've been in a Bible church long enough, then you likely heard context is everything. And it is. That is true. But it's amazing how often people, probably inadvertently, but they drift away from context by just taking a verse out and using it to suit their particular viewpoint. Someone who would see this verse posted on social media or on a church sign somewhere would be led to believe that they are being commanded to pray for Jerusalem, that they're commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem today. And again, I'm all for praying for Israel right now. Do not misunderstand me. I'm just trying to give you context. And somebody reading this would go on to think, well, if I pray for their peace, and if I love Jerusalem, I'm going to prosper. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Who doesn't want to prosper? Amen. Who else do you want me to pray for, Lord? I, I want to prosper. So who doesn't want that? But this verse alone is really out of context today. If you get the context, you get the meaning of the verse. And I'm not going to take the time to break all this down. We could probably spend six months in this psalm. (laughs) So we're not going to do that, but look at verse 1. Let me just try to build the context here real quick. Look at what it says in verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now look at verse 4. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. And so right away we see the context leading up to verse 6 surrounds the house of the Lord and the word of the Lord. The testimony is the word. Obviously the house of the Lord, there's the temple. The temple is where the nation of Israel gathered to honor God and His word, and it is where they glorified the Lord. They offered those sacrifices that pictured the coming sacrifice of the Messiah who would take away the sin of the world through His blood. So why did David write, pray for the peace of Jerusalem? It's because that's where they could go unto the house of the Lord. Are you catching this? It's where the Word of God was read and emphasized. It's where the Word of God could be fulfilled in offering sacrifices. And true Bible prosperity comes from obeying God's Word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success." But let's keep going here in Psalm 122. In verse 6, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In verse 7, he desires the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem. In verse 8, he desires peace for Jerusalem because of his brethren and companions' sake, those who are of like mind. And verse 9 really ought to settle the context for anyone where it says, Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. He says, because of this reason, 
This is why you ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is why you ought to wish things would go well and they would prosper. Why? Because we have the house of the Lord. David would seek for the good of Jerusalem because of the temple. Well, the house of the Lord no longer stands in Jerusalem. God allowed the Romans to destroy that in 70 A.D. when God rent, or um, when God had already actually foretold of that, but I got ahead of myself, and I ought to tell you this first. God indicated He was done with the temple when He rent the veil in two from top to bottom after Jesus said, it is finished. And then because they still refused to acknowledge Christ, it wasn't more than about 40 years, 70 A.D. rolled around, and God had the Romans destroy the city and the temple. To use verse 6 as a command to pray for the peace of the modern city of Jerusalem is to take this verse way out of context. The temple's been destroyed by God, and Christ has fulfilled the law. Now, my point is, before you just run with someone's opinion that is tied to a Bible verse on some cute little social media post, why don't you go back to that verse, look at it, in its context, and see what it is really saying. Because when we take things out of their context, false doctrines arise. This out of its context will lead to a false doctrine. Now, along with these verses that are being plastered everywhere right now, out of their context, all the so-called prophecy buffs are out there giving their opinion. How everything's going to unfold, and how Israel and Hamas fit into the end times, and they got their charts. But please be cautious. You realize anyone with an internet connection, a microphone and a camera can start a YouTube channel and just start posting stuff? And they can look pretty professional doing it, amen? Minus us. Amen, we never look professional doing it. Some of these people, man, you... Anyway. It's interesting to me how... So many things are being said so dogmatically. But what does the Bible say? Well, let's take a quick look into the Olivet Discourse by turning to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. You can also find this discourse in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. And it is very important that you would compare them all side by side. In Luke chapter 21, I want you to see what it says in verses 8 through 11. And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. So Jesus cautions us at the beginning of verse 8 by saying, Take heed that ye be not deceived which means there's going to be false information out there. There will be those who claim to be the Christ, and they'll be saying the time is drawing near, or the time of the end. 
And we've seen this sort of thing happen in various places throughout the world. In my lifetime, I know those who have claimed to be Christ in various parts of the world, claiming the end is near. And so Jesus is exactly right that this would happen, of course. Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, we will hear of wars and commotions, which we see today. We hear about China wanting to attack Taiwan. It's been the ongoing rhetoric of Iran against Israel and America. And it's very likely Iran is the one funding Hamas, but I'll not go there now. I'll have to get too political to do that, and I don't really want to do that. But what did Jesus say? He said, be not terrified. Matthew and Mark say, don't be troubled. And then Jesus adds, these things must first come to pass. And then notice the phrase at the end of verse 9, where Jesus said, but the end is not by and by. Matthew will say, but the end is not yet. And Mark says, but the end shall not be yet. In verse 10, we read how nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We know this has been true in all of our lifetimes in here, regardless of our age. And obviously, we are currently witnessing this taking place before our eyes right now between Russia and Ukraine, Hamas and Israel. Myanmar is a mess. Parts of Africa are an absolute disaster. And there's so much going on around the world that our nation's military today largely exists for the sole fact to deploy. In verse 11, we're told there will be earthquakes in diverse places. I did a little bit of digging on Dr. Internet, and I found that every year since modern instruments have been available, there has been deadly earthquakes on record somewhere in our world. Just this year, on February the 6th, a 7.8 earthquake hit south-central Turkey, killing over 50,000 people in Turkey and over 8,000 people in Syria. On September the 8th, a 6.9 earthquake struck Morocco, killing over 2,900 people. This past week, a powerful 6.3 earthquake struck Afghanistan, killing 2,400 people. And I just saw this morning when another earthquake hit Afghanistan, uh, just... I think yesterday or whenever it was, I think killing over another thousand. In addition to earthquakes, we're told there will be famines. Currently, the worst areas experiencing famine in the world are portions of Nigeria, Ethiopia, Somalia, South Sudan, Yemen, and Afghanistan. And I really don't know how much stock to put in stats and stuff from organizations because organizations like funding... But according to the World Food Program, as of June 2021, 41 million people in 43 countries are at risk of famine, and that's up from 27 million in 2019. Along with earthquakes and famines, Jesus said we uh, should expect to see pestilences. I don't think I need to remind anyone of COVID-19. There's all kinds of viruses out there, fevers, plagues. And finally, only Luke states this at the end of verse 11, there will be fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. And there's always been chatter about the blood moons, right? There's a preacher out there who makes money every time he issues a book on blood moons. Oh man, blood moons, we're all going to die tomorrow. Then why buy the book? (laughs) 
Yes, I'm envious. I want to write a book and make money. All right. Just kidding. Blood moons, asteroids. How often do I click on a news article? Asteroids the size of the Empire State Building is hurling towards Earth and we're all going to die. All kind of astronomical nonsense is being said, and I won't dig into all that this statement means here in Luke. So to recap, there will be false Christ, wars, commotions, nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes in diverse places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights, and great signs in heaven. But Jesus said, be not terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. And Matthew and Mark add at the end of this list of things the phrase, and this is important that Matthew and Mark add this. They add at the end of this list, these are the beginning of sorrows. That word sorrow is a word to describe the pangs of a woman in travail. And I readily understand that only women who have given birth can identify with what that means as far as the intensity of how much pain that is. But I was there when all four of our children were born into this world, and I gathered this much. (laughs) Contractions, we got a lot of new mothers in here too, so I don't want no PTSD, all right? But contractions gradually become more frequent and they get more painful and last longer the closer it gets to delivery time. And you cannot stop them from happening. And I can't even begin to imagine the pain of actually giving birth to a child. Now, the point in all of this is to tell you what we are witnessing around the world today is birth pangs. What's happening in Russia and Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, other places of the world we could really get into if you wanted to look at skirmishes as well. All these things, these earthquakes, these pestilences, these famines that are taking place, we are seeing the birth pangs, the contractions begin to get closer together. Hamas attacks Israel about every four years. I mean, if you're tuned in, it happens a lot. And so the contractions get, but they get stronger. And obviously this was a more powerful attack. And so we're nearing the end when it's delivery time. Whoop! Now for the child of God, that ought to be exciting. It's, the contractions are closer, they're, 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 they're stronger, they're, they're more painful. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up, the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Revelation eleven fifteen. the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. So if the end isn't quite yet, when is the end? Because that's what everybody's out there trying to tell you. They're trying to pinpoint their dates with their charts. And they're trying to let you know with their blood moons and astronomical signs and all of this, when the end is going to be and when you finally, I guess, should get your heart right. I don't really understand it all. Well, the last day started back when Jesus was here, according to Hebrews 1-2. And Hebrews 9-26 says, 
But now once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So in a sense, we can say the end of the world started back with the sacrifice of Christ. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. But what we want to know is, when is the very end going to be? Right? When is all this finally going to be over? Well, the disciples also wanted to know that. And that's what ultimately led to the Olivet Discourse. They asked Jesus, well, it says in Matthew 24, 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Matthew 24, 14, Jesus, he kind of answers that when he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Jesus, when is the end going to be? We, we understand it's going to be with your coming. Once the gospel is preached around the world, then shall the end come. Well, who gets to decide that? Only God. God gets to decide when the gospel has been preached to all nations. And so only God knows when the end will be. Later in that same discourse, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But we do know some indicators to look for, also from the Olivet Discourse. In Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, the end will be at a time when the world is careless about the things of God. We see signs of that everywhere. Ultimately, we don't know when the end will be. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 4, it says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord... Hey, listen, let me just give another plug for the King James. There's a difference between the day of the Lord and the day of Christ. And you got to keep those two terms separate. All the modern versions make them all say day of the Lord. You're going to have bad theology when you do that. And, And Paul here writing, he says, the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? It's the day of His wrath. He says... For ye know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Now, it's interesting how Paul wrote there. He said, but of the times... And the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Why does he say that? What Paul is saying is there's no need for me to write unto you the times and the seasons because nobody knows. No, nobody knows exactly. I love Jesus' answers to the disciples over there in Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> I like it for a number of reasons and my filter just kicked in. But they asked the Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answered them, It is not for you to know the time, nor the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. 
You see, there's some things, just stop worrying about it. In like manner, Paul is saying here, I don't need to get into all the timing because all of that would just be speculation anyhow. Which is why he goes on to say, yourselves, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. And, and it's going to be a time when you're, people are not expecting it. A time that you think not. So don't get caught up in all the timing. Therefore, Jesus went on to say in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And in Matthew 24, 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Sounds to me, according to the Bible, this is all going to happen at a time that nobody thinks it's going to happen. Well, then how is it ever going to happen? I don't know. The times are in His hand. All right, am I the only one sweating up here? Because y'all are like giving me some nasty looks. Some of y'all are like spitting in your cup. Got your little spittoon over there, amen? Here's the emphasis then. We don't know the exact hour, right? I think we all can agree it's drawing near. Because we're not in darkness. I think we can see certain things. And we understand it's got to be closer today than it was yesterday, duh. And certainly one thing's for sure is the Lord will return. And so since we don't know the exact hour, here's what I want you to get if you don't get anything else tonight. You must be ready to meet the Lord now. Amen. Amen. My dad always said something to this effect. It's not so much when the Lord will come, but when the Lord will come for you. Because what is true of His coming is also true in your death. You don't know when. And so the question is, are you ready to die now? Are you prepared to meet your Maker now? 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. We may be on the cusp of the Lord's return, or it may be a hundred more years from now. But the fact is, you could die tonight. Whether it's through the Lord's return or whether it's through death, are you ready to stand before God? Have you ever been born again? You ever called upon the Lord to save you from your sins? The penalty of your sins through His sacrificial death? Have your sins been washed away through the blood of Christ? I want to tell you, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. You see, you can be made clean today. What a thought. You can be made clean today. You can be made free today. And in this world of turmoil, you can have peace. His peace. He said, My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You can have the peace that passes all understanding. Preach you worried with what's going on in the world? No. No, 
Because my Father is on the throne. And everything will happen exactly as He has determined it. And I can't wait till we get there. Maybe Jesus will give us that little 10-minute session to go, Ah, you were right. (laughs) Well, my wishes aside, are you ready? To those of us in Christ tonight, I want to tell you, don't get so caught up in all of this Israel and prophecy stuff that you miss out on your daily walk with God. Make sure you are in daily fellowship with Him. By all means, I would tell you to study the issues, stay informed, read the news, all that stuff. And I encourage you to read the news. I stopped watching news on TV years ago. What a waste of time. All I get is everybody's opinion. I just want what's happening. Anyway, if I offended you Fox News dwellers, I'm sorry, but the, the point is just, just read it real quick and move on with your life. Study it, but do so in the light of God's Word. Don't just run with a verse that is posted out there on social media tied to someone's opinion, but look up the context. Make sure it is being quoted accurately. And then let God be true, but every man a liar. Without context and accuracy, you're going to end up with false teachings. So I want us to be a people of the book. I'm already hated. I know that. I'm already in the minority. And this is why I have a hard time getting people to come here and preach. I understand all that. But God, His Word needs to be true. And we cannot just, well, I want to make sure I fit in. I'd love to fit in. I really would. I'm not an arguer. I don't like the contention. I never go looking for it. And I wish it would just all go away. But it doesn't. But I have a decision to make in this church, pastoring this flock. When I see all of this stuff flooding social media, I want to make sure that I've done my part to have a clear conscience with God that I've tried to put you on firm scriptural footing. So be a people of the book. Keep your eyes on Christ and let not your hearts be troubled. Luke 21, 28 here. If you're still in Luke 21, you can glance down there. Man, there's so much I could get into. It's interesting he says this to believers, but... And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. What a day that will be. Amen. It was such a great day when our children were born. But Adrian had to go through the labor pains to get there. And that day is going to be a great day, but we have to go through the labor pains first. And that's what we're seeing take place in the world. Let not your hearts be troubled. Our Lord is in complete control. Let's pray.